Welcome everybody to today's Sketches from Church History. Today we're going to be doing the French Crown and the Huguenots. We're going to be talking about a particularly tragic uh, hundred years in French history in which uh, France determined that they were going to wipe out the Reformation in their country. Uh, not only were they wiping out the, the Protestant Reformation uh, and any chance of getting back to the Gospel, they were also wiping out uh, a great source of strength on two different uh, two different um, different areas uh, of society. First, uh, the Huguenots overwhelmingly were drawn from the middle class and the mercantile class in France. They were uh, literate, but not part of the aristocracy. What you're going to see in uh, Europe is that the aristocracy uh, they're they're um, they tended to be hey Maddie. Uh, they tended to be uh, sympathizers with Rome. Uh, they saw the uh, Roman Catholic Church as a bulwark of uh, the monarchical systems. In fact, uh, even where you did have reformations like in England that removed the, um, uh, the Pope as the, the chief primate of the church, the head of the ecclesiastical pyramid, so to speak. Not that there should be an ecclesiastical pyramid. There isn't one in the, uh, in the scriptures, but the aristocracy, uh, the kings and queens of England saw the, uh, their ability to control the church. No bishop, no king, as uh, Elizabeth and uh, James had thought, James I, that is, had thought um, they wanted to keep the Roman Catholic Church in its place. And they felt that uh, the, their ability to control the Roman Catholic Church, which could, which could only happen if you had that ecclesiastical hierarchy provided by a, uh, an Episcopal system of archbishops, bishops, uh, priests, and so on, all of whom were subject to the king, uh, only then could they, uh, could they continue to survive. Anyway, the aristocracy tended to be uh, solidly Catholic. And that's what happened in, in uh, France. Unfortunately, with the kind of autocratic powers that the French kings had, which were uh, only mildly affected by the, uh, the legislature in France, uh, the kings really were able to do whatever they wanted. As Louis said, I am the state, in essence. Uh, and so they set about wiping out not just the, uh, the, the Protestants, but in a sense, the, the mercantile, the middle class, which left uh, after the, uh, the Huguenots were, were driven into exile uh, or forced uh, at the point of the sword to repent or simply killed. Um, it left a society made up of the very rich and the very poor uh, with no reformation possible. Uh, and also what it took out of the, uh, the running was, refer uh, was regeneration. Uh, genuine Christianity, Christian hearts. Now, is it possible to be regenerated in a Roman Catholic Church? Yes, it is, but not very likely. Not with the uh, the kind of preaching uh, that goes on there, and the uh, the belief in uh, baptismal regeneration and the dependence upon the sacraments. So you took out the regenerate um, portion of society, and you just left the nominally Christian. Uh, in charge and at the bottom, and eventually you had the French Revolution in the 1780s, which became uh, inevitable once they'd wiped out any possibility of, uh, of social reform. So the, uh, the destruction of the Huguenots, in, in many senses, uh, was a permanent hobbling of the French crown and French society. Um, but then again, the devil is no, no fan of, of human prospering at any level. He doesn't want, uh, he doesn't want political harmony any more than he does, um, any more than he does church harmony. So he is ever seeking to destabilize and make, uh, make our society a miserable place. And unfortunately, too often, men are willing to do his will. But 
Uh, enough of that. Let's pray and then get to the reading of S.M. Houghton's work. God, our gracious Father, we pray, Lord, that you would be the light of our minds today, that you would help us to understand uh, sketches from church history and to apply it to our own time when we see all of the parallels, when we see the devil doesn't need to use a new playbook. It should be a sobering reminder for us, Lord. And I pray that uh, you would help me to read aright and to interpret correctly. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Chapter 31, The French Crown and the Huguenot. Uh, not all the Huguenots were killed in the terrible massacre of St. Bartholomew's Day in Paris. Three out of every four escaped. Their case reminds us of what is declared of Old Testament worthies in the 11th chapter of the Epistle to the Hebrews. Through faith, some escaped the edge of the sword, others were slain with the sword, verses 34 and 37. Of the pastors of the Huguenots in Paris, only two were killed, although no lives were more eagerly sought after than theirs. The Lord was very gracious to his people in that. And hi, Debbie, how are you? Several pastors had a miraculous escape. In the case of Merlin, chaplain of uh, Coligny, uh, God's providence seemed almost as distinct as in the case of the prophet Elijah. After re reluctantly leaving Coligny at, the, at his uh, earnest request, I'm pretty sure that's actually Coligny, but um, at his earnest request, and clambering over the roof of a neighboring house, he fell through an opening into a garret full of hay, not daring to show himself since he did not know whether he would encounter friend or foe. He remained in this retreat for three days, his only food being an egg, which a hen laid daily within his reach. Finally, he got clear away. We have a reminder there of how Elijah was fed by the ravens uh, by the brookside. The Lord is so uh, gracious to his people. And many an, uh, an occasion like that. Charles the Ninth reigned only a short time after the massacre. He died in 1574 at the age of 24, a victim of remorse and periodic insanity. When thus attacked, the horrors of the terrible night tortured his excited imagination. Catherine, his mother, remained callous and unrepentant. She was the Jezebel of her day, the counselor of others to do wickedly. She died in 1589, forsaken and abhorred by Catholic and Protestant alike. None lamented her dying. Charles had been succeeded by his brother Henry, whom his mother, by gold and intrigue, had earlier managed to get elected to the throne of Poland. He too died in 1589, but the real ruler of France during his reign had been Catherine. Henry met his death by assassination. Henry of Navarre followed Henry III as Henry IV, the Huguenot husband of Catherine's daughter Margaret. With him, better days seemed to dawn for the Protestants, but the Catholics would not consent to give their allegiance to such a king, and war continued. Henry war battle, uh, won battles and besieged Paris itself, forcing some of its citizens, as some believe, to eat the flesh of their own children through lack of food. Finally, a Spanish army from the Netherlands relieved the city. Um, I should make a note here. Most, uh, m many Americans, many Protestants don't realize that, that uh, Holland, the Netherlands, uh, was at this period in time in the 1500s, throughout most of the 1500s, controlled by the Spanish. Now, while the Protestant Reformation, obviously, was raging amongst the Dutch as well, the French um, put, uh, sorry, the Spanish put huge armies into Holland. Uh, there, uh, the, the um, familial lands of the Habsburg monarchs who reigned in Spain, they had... Uh, and you'd have the rain in Spain falls mainly on the plain. Anyway, uh, moving on, the, they had put uh, many, obviously, of their uh, their armies there, not only so that they could uh, control the, um, uh, so they could control uh, Holland, but also so they could attack, if necessary, France. And in this case, they attacked in order to support the French crown, 
because uh, the Spanish uh, did not want, the Spanish Catholics obviously did not want a Protestant victory in France. Very sad there. Uh, had the uh, French Protestants actually won and um, taken over the, the French crown, French history would have been very different. It might have looked a lot more like Dutch and English history, which was far more prosperous uh, and stable as, uh, as well. But uh, sadly, they, uh, the French crown, with the help of the Spanish, determined that they were going to cut their own throats. Um, da 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 uh, Henry then offered to recognize, this is Henry of Navarre, then offered to recognize Catholicism as the state religion while he remained Protestant. This offer was refused. It pleased neither party. Ultimately, Henry persuaded himself that Paris was worth a mass. In other words, he decided to own the Catholic Church as the true church and to yield obedience to its claims and to its pope. His reasons being as follows. One, he had failed to win France by force of arms. Two, the Huguenots were but a small minority of the nation. Three, the great majority of Romanists would never accept a Huguenot as king or leave him secure upon the throne. And fourth, Spanish soldiers in Spain itself and in the Netherlands were poised to invade the kingdom. But the main reason for Henry's conversion was his lack of true religious conviction. He was gallant, brave, generous, and patriotic, but his creed could be changed to suit political requirements. He was no Mr. Valiant for the truth. The Huguenots could truly say, put not your trust in princes. Again, here we see one of the principles, though, which is simply that uh, Protestants, when they've attempted to fight to establish Protestantism, whenever God's people have attempted to fight in order to establish uh, their religion in a particular region, uh, it's been unsuccessful. The Lord will not allow, uh, as a general rule, his religion to be advanced to the point of a sword. And when it is, uh, bad things happen. You can, yeah, you can advance nominal Christianity uh, at the point of the sword, but true Christianity must advance heart by heart, and that by the preaching of the gospel. Moving on, but the main reason for Henry's, oh, sorry, with the king's conversion, conversion, uh, the Romanists seem to have emerged as victors from the long civil war, and if the king had insisted, as in the settlement in Germany, that all his subjects must conform to Rome, it would have been a dark outlook for the Huguenots. But in the famous Edict of Nantes, uh, Nantes or Nantes, uh, 1598, a settlement was proclaimed which secured certain definite rights for the Huguenots and gave securities that these rights would be respected. There was to be liberty of conscience throughout France and a liberty of worship for the Huguenots in certain specified places. Huguenots were to enjoy the normal civil rights of Frenchmen and were uh, to be free to open schools and print books in the specified places. They were to pay tithes, a portion of which would be returned to them by the king for the support of their ministers. Obviously, this was a very important religious settlement, and during the reign of Henry IV, it held firm. But the king's life ended in 1610. He was assassinated by a fanatic employed by the Jesuits, his implacable foes. The Jesuits were a Catholic order founded in 1534 by Ignatius Loyola, a Spaniard, incidentally a, uh, an ex-Spanish soldier. They were always a militant organization from their very uh, inception. Their chief aim being the complete extermination of Protestantism. They called their order the Society of Jesus. Responsible only to the Pope and exempted from all other jurisdiction, they bound themselves by an oath to unconditional obedience to the Pope. 
Country, friends, personal interest, even private opinion, and conscience were nothing. The rules of the order were everything to them. They specialized in providing a high standard of education for the sons of the nobility, and by this means their influence was enormous. They penetrated into all the relationships of life and obtained possession of secret information that would further their aims. The most notorious principle of the Society of Jesus was, the end justifies the means. Hence, they would engage in murder if they judged that the Catholic Church would benefit by it. Ravelach, the murderer of Henry IV, was undoubtedly a tool in their hands. After 1598, the Catholics were determined to have the Edict of Nantes uh, declared null and void, and throughout the 17th century they labored to have it so. A great French statesman, Cardinal Richelieu, came to their aid. Richelieu was a political rather than a religious persecutor. He held that the Huguenots were virtually a state within a state, and to him this was unacceptable. He therefore waged war against them, and in 1629 compelled them to accept the Peace of Alay, which uh, conformed, uh, confirmed them in their liberty of worship and their civil rights, but took from them all other rights. Henceforward, the Huguenots ceased to be a formidable political party. They soon became satisfied with their religious liberty, gave full allegiance to the monarchy, and became famed for their frugality, manual skill, and high standard of morality. The statesman Colbert, later in the century, described them as the thriftiest, most hardworking, and most intelligent of the king's subjects. Therefore, of course, the French monarchy was going to wipe them out. We <laughs> can see that coming. Um, in the second half of the 17th century, France was ruled by Louis XIV, the grandson of Henry IV. He was a mere child when he came to the throne, and for almost 20 years the land was ruled by Cardinal Mazarin. But when Louis came of age and regarded himself as an absolute monarch, did he not say, The state? I am the state! It became his ambition to require all Frenchmen to belong to the Roman Catholic Church, and this necessitated the complete revocation of the Edict of Nantes of 1598. Louis said, My grandfather loved the Huguenots and did not fear them. My father feared them and did not love them. I neither love nor fear them. <laughs> he also said that if the extirpation of Protestantism in France required that with one of his hands he should, as it were, cut off the other, he would submit to it. The king became, in an indirect way, the dread, uh, began, rather, in an indirect way, the dreadful task he had set himself. He forbade the Huguenots to bury their dead except at night. Not more than twelve were to meet together for a marriage or baptism. In their schools, nothing but reading and writing was to be taught. Next, he tried to bribe the poor Huguenots with money and to exclude those in a higher social position from government posts, from the legal and other professions, and even from the trades by which many of them earned their living. Pastors were forbidden to preach. Shortly, the dragonades commenced. These were a sermon. Uh, sorry, this was a system of billeting dragoons, the worst discipline of troops, on Protestant families. A cartoon of the period shows a Protestant signing his conversion paper on a drumhead labeled "An Evangelical Appeal," while an armed dragoon threatens him with a musket loaded with a crucifix. As might have been expected, Huguenots fled from the land in large numbers. But Louis forbade emigration and sent to the galleys those caught in the act. The final blow came in 1685 when Louis revoked the Edict of Nantes. Uh, Protestant worship was suppressed. All Protestant churches were to be demolished. Huguenot children were to be brought up as front Roman Catholics. Despite all the king's efforts to prevent emigration, many thousands made good their escape. 3,000 a week escaped to Switzerland. Thousands more found refuge in Holland and England. 200 preachers were pastors in the churches of Holland, and for 12 years, the fugitives were exempted from paying uh, the Dutch taxes. In Prussia, the great elector gave 20,000 Huguenots free land near Berlin, probably over 300,000. 
got away from France. They included the most skillful French craftsmen, and their settlement in countries adjacent to France greatly benefited the industries of those countries. Louis XIV paid a very heavy price for national Catholic orthodoxy. With less excuse and in a more enlightened age, he committed the same blunder as Philip II of Spain. He ruined his country in the name of religion. Indeed, he did. Uh, sad, sad event. Uh, the Lord sent them light, but they preferred darkness. Uh, we see, unfortunately, the fact that uh, men will not believe uh, the truth unless their hearts are changed. And in this case, the unchanged heart of the King of France was, uh, was deadly uh, to the Huguenot cause. All right, everybody, I will see you, God willing, tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow we're going to be starting The Netherlands Receives the Truth. So we'll be talking about the Dutch Reformation, which is indeed a very interesting time.